Well, good morning, and it's good to be with each of you. And as we come to God's Word, let's ask Him prayerfully to meet with us and to speak to us. You join me in prayer. Father, we do come to you entering your courts with thanksgiving in the truth that you have spoken. So Lord, give us great confidence in that reality that you have spoken for us because you desire for us to hear. And so Lord, we ask that you would help us in the hearing of your word. Lord, help us to hear with humility. Father, help us to hear with reverence. And Lord, help us to hear obediently. And Lord, we pray this not for our name's sake, but God, for your name's sake and for your glory's sake. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what is in a name? What's in a name? It's a question that we probably don't ask that much these days. Now, I am certainly not the first one to ask it. Juliet and Shakespeare's most famous play wrestled with that very question. And I've been reminded of it recently in the last several months as my wife and I, we uh, have had frequent discussion about what to name our baby boy who could be coming any day now. You know, names sometimes get picked simply because we like the way that they sound or because they've been in our family before and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Other times, names get chosen to communicate values, aspirations, dreams, hopes. That could be of a family, could be of a community. We often will choose names based upon stories that, that move us. What, what we think is good, true, beautiful. Names ascribe meaning oftentimes. Well, this morning, I want us to ask that very question as we come to our passage this morning. What is in a name? Our passage this morning is Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. You can find that in page 807 of the Pew Bible in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take that home with you. Consider that a late Christmas present from us. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. We read and it says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and 
unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Well, I think as we come to the story of Jesus, and if we truly understand the meaning of what is in his name, I think we'll be surprised at how profound the truths of Jesus and his coming and his meaning affect and shape our every moment. His names are not merely some sort of target, but his name is truth itself for us. His name is not merely aspirational, as if it were some sort of wish of what would come true. His name is truly authentic, giving us truth for how we are to live our lives. Well, you'll notice that there are two names in the passage that we just read, and that will serve as our outline this morning. Two names. Verse 21, you shall call his name Jesus. Verse 24, they shall call his name Emmanuel. Let's take them one at a time. Firstly, Jesus. We're told that an angel appears to Joseph in a dream and announces that this baby who is to be born is from the Holy Spirit and that they, Mary and Joseph, are to name him Jesus for reason he will save his people from their sins. Now, when you trace that word Jesus back all the way to its Old Testament roots, it, it could be translated, God saves, or God delivers, re- referring to the God of Israel. In other words, Yahweh saves. Yahweh is salvation. You know, immediately for the Jewish reader, as they would hear that name, this would bring to mind sort of a myriad of images, a myriad of stories of God Himself working salvation for His people. How He was the one who rescued them from bondage to slavery in Egypt. And then He gave them His good and right commands at Mount Sinai. It would call to mind the way that God gave them judges to deliver them from the hands of their enemies like Samson and Barak and Gideon. It would call to mind the way that God gave them kings and worked through kings like David and Solomon to deliver them from the hands of military powers around them. 
Certainly in this name, it's pregnant with meaning of the ways that God has delivered in the past. And they would know that truly God is a God who delivers. You know, I think all of us in this room, if we're totally honest with ourselves, would say that we would like some kind of deliverance. We might be transparent enough to say that we need deliverance from certain things in this life. In-laws staying at your home for the holidays? Cheesy, overplayed Christmas tunes that are in the mall, they're on the radio, and then they're forever in your head. Or perhaps more seriously, you know, this time of year we think about soured relationships that make this season actually more difficult to go through, more burdensome to be in. We think about financial debt that keeps stacking up and is stacked up even more with Christmas spending. We might think about just simply the daily stresses of life, the demands of work, the responsibilities at home, the mouths to be fed, the cards to be written, the people to be served, the food to be made, the noses to be wiped, and the list goes on. Or maybe over Christmas, you just simply want to escape. There's clouds of grief that color your holidays. There's the loud silence of loneliness. Christmas just feels more like salt in a wound than it does a day to be celebrated. You know, my point is that in our beautiful and yet broken world, we are all looking for and our hearts long for, they ache for, some kind of deliverance, some kind of redemption, some kind of saving. And the good news is that Jesus does come to deliver. Jesus comes to save. Praise be to God that our God is a God who delivers. But notice here why this baby was born. The specific delivering that he came to do. He came to save his people. He came to save them from their sins. In other words, Jesus came to save his people from his people. He came to save us from us. from our wrongdoing, from our inclination to evil, from our stains of guilt, from the insanity of our cosmic rebellion. That's what Jesus came to save us from. You know, I wonder if that announcement surprises any of us this morning. Perhaps even offends some of us this morning. 
You know, it certainly surprised the many people who would have been reading and hearing this for the first time. In the first century, the Jews were also longing for a deliverer. They were longing for a deliverance, waiting, but they expected it to be a deliverance from an oppressive Roman government that they had been under for centuries. And it was probably just as easy back then as it is today when the delivering that Jesus came to do doesn't match up with the delivering that we want from Jesus to turn away from Him. Disinterested. Disappointed. And the same can be true for us today because apparent needs aren't always the same as actual needs. Perceived needs can often be different from the needs that we actually possess. The the needs that we perceive can, can often even cloud our vision from truly seeing the needs that we possess. In fact, that's one of the very reasons that God gives us His Word. We are, in truth, not very good at evaluating the needs that we truly have. We, we need God's Word to shine light and to show us and, and to teach us what we really and truly need. We aren't good at recognizing that on our own. So what about you? Does the delivering that you desire match the delivering that Jesus came to do? You know, the way that we answer that question is the difference between room in our hearts to receive Christ with joy and turning away from Him dissatisfied. I've I've heard it said like this before. Until your sin is bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Until your sin is bitter, Christ will not be sweet. And the reverse of that is true as well. If sin is sweet to you, Christ is only going to be bitter. But the call this morning is to taste and to see that the Lord Himself is good. He is better. He is better than our sin. He is more powerful than our sin. And when He changes our tastes and our appetites, He indeed, we see, is good and true and beautiful and better than any sin that we would snack on. Well, the angel says you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to take away sin, to save his people from their sin. But Jesus is given another name in this passage. Our second point this morning that we'll think about, the second name of Jesus, Emmanuel. 
Emmanuel, God with us. Verse 23. Now, the writer of Matthew, if you've picked up on this in that section, he's gone to great pains in this paragraph just to make crystal clear that Jesus was born different. Do you see that? He's trying to make very clear that He was not born like you and I were born. He was not born naturally. There there was no human contact that led to the birth of this baby, but rather He was conceived of Mary and told that His conception is from the Holy Spirit. And here's the bottom line that Matthew's getting at. If Jesus really is going to deliver us from our sins, His birth must be supernatural. If Jesus is truly going to save us from our sins, He cannot merely be a human. He must be human, but He must be more than human. He must be God also. And that is the point that the writer is making, that is that in the person of Jesus, this baby to be born, God himself has come down to now meet his people, to be with his people. You see, friends, that is the goal of the good news. The goal of the good news of the gospel is that God would be with His people. That God's people would be with God. He came to us in order to take our sins so that Jesus Himself might now take us to God. Jesus came to us as God so that we might be with God. God. You know, every man-made system of thinking can sort of be summarized in one image. A ladder. Every man-made system of thinking of how to relate with God could be summarized as a ladder. Do enough. Achieve more. Work harder. Be better. Excel more. Then one day, maybe one day, you will have done enough and earned enough to be in the good graces of God. But that is not what the birth of Jesus tells us. That's not what the entire story of Jesus tells us. The entire story of Jesus tells us something different. Firstly, the birth of Jesus tells us exactly the opposite. I mean, think about it. God did not wait for us to come to Him. Praise be to God, He didn't wait for that. God came to us in the person of Jesus. He took the initiative. 
He took the first step. He came to us. He pursued us. He stooped down from heaven and came to us in the person of Jesus. There was no ladder for us to climb. Jesus came down. But then secondly, after he came to us, he came with a mission. He came for a reason. His face was set to the cross. Jesus' cradle was born under the shadow of a cross. And there on the cross, it was there that Jesus experienced rejection. Jesus himself was treated, though perfect, as a sinner. He was cut off, cursed, forsaken, pursued us even unto death. We weren't searching for him. We weren't the spiritual A-team that sort of got it figured out. No, it says that while we were still sinners is when Christ died for us. And he did that so that in God's perfect plan, he could bring his people in. So that he might be God with us and we might be the people with God. And so the cross that Jesus bore doesn't tell us do anymore. It exclaims done. It has been finished. And we know that for certain because Jesus isn't in a grave any longer. Three days later, he rose from the grave so that we might serve a risen and resurrected and reigning king. And we can live this life in hope and certainty that we will be with him finally, fully, one day at his return. As we conclude, let me leave you with a question. A question to think about today, tomorrow, as you enter into 2022. What image would you say is characteristic of the way that you relate to God? And the way that you relate to other people. What image would you say is characteristic of the way that you relate to God and other people? Is it a ladder? Or is it a cross? Is it a ladder where doing enough until you've climbed your way up into God's good graces? Where you clean yourself up so one day you might be able to come to Him? Living on this endless treadmill of attempting to earn God's favor? Is it a ladder? Or is it the cross? Resting in, rejoicing in, the truth and reality that Jesus came to us. He purchased us. He purchased our favor. 
You know, we were reminded a couple of weeks ago that favor earned is fleeting. But favor granted is forever. My prayer is that we would all, this week, this coming year, know the sweetness and security and freedom of favor granted. And we would live in light of that truth. Well, why did Jesus come? He came to be Jesus. To save us from our sin. But he also came as Emmanuel. To be God with us. To bring God to us. So that he might bring us to God. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you for the sweetness of the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the truth of why he came. To give us the deliverance that we most greatly need. Lord, we ask that you would work in us so that we might desire and long for the deliverance that you have so generously supplied. And help us, Lord, to live cross-centered lives. Father, that that would be the defining mark of the way that we relate to you. And Lord, the defining mark of the way that we relate to each other. We pray this for your namesake. In Christ's name, amen.